It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme on the 1st of February. Happy St. Bridget's Day to you. The fact that it is St. Bridget's Day, there's a gorgeous photograph on the front page of the Irish Examiner of five women dressed all in white, but they've got these very ornate straw hats uh, on and they are the Kilgobnet Biddies practising at St. Kilgobnet National School before their tour of the locality and the tradition of Biddies is a blend of Christian and pagan pageantry held on the 1st of February every year. It obviously marks the start of spring but it also honours St. Bridget's uh, Day and it's the it's known as the Biddy Boy Procession and it actually occurred in many parts of Ireland. I know it's a big tradition in Kerry. Don't know if the Biddy Boy uh, procession is how, how common it was uh, here in Cork but what happened was the Biddy Boys uh, they dressed up in straw costumes played music and then they went from house to house a little bit kind of like the Wren Boys and they went from house to house either collecting food or money and it was considered unlucky to refuse them a donation and they often carried a straw doll with them uh, as well uh, which was known as the Breed Oak which was essentially an efficacy of the um, effigy of the uh, saint so it's good to see that some areas are keeping the Biddy boys tradition but as I say it made me smile the photograph because it looked like the five ladies were having a great bit of fun practising as they were going to head off on their biddy boys uh, parade in the uh, Kilgobnet uh, area and also somebody has pointed out to me that the weather today on the 1st of February if we get good weather today it's an omen of bad weather to come but if we end up with a rainy month of uh, February uh, it's said to indicate a good summer so we'll take the rain in February but uh, if we're guaranteed a good summer it would be uh, terrific our lines are open at 086 103 NCT making the papers again uh, today with the official figure now at 375,000 vehicles are driving on roads and driving without a valid NCT certificate. The operator of the national car test, that's Atlas uh, Automotive. Uh, They are today expected to blame the problem on a range of issues, including a high level of motorists failing to show up for their tests. And they also are going to talk about an ageing workforce now. Uh, As we know, we've heard from motorists uh, here, but certainly in other parts of the country as well, who can face weights of 
of delay of up to six months to secure a test appointment if you just put in your car details and look for the next available test appointment on a particular test centre that you want you sometimes could be looking at a six month wait so what's happening today is representatives from the NCT will be before the Oroctus Transport Committee. They are expected to apologise, but they're also, the news isn't good, they're also going to admit that further challenges lie ahead in the coming months. So there's no quick fix solution uh, to you uh, at the moment if you don't have an NCT. 375,000 vehicles are overdue their NCT. And the the uh, the organisation behind NCT uh, say that is more than double the normal amount for the early months of the year because the early months of the year are obviously always the busiest month for people because so many cars would have been registered in uh, January so it's double what they would normally expect at this time of year. Now Aplus are, are going to outline how 3,500 people per week are not attending appointments they make for their vehicles to be tested and obviously that's only adding to the problems even though the customers are sent a reminder of their appointment date about two and a half thousand people a week just simply don't show up and then there's about another thousand people will cancel their appointment but they cancel it just before the test which then leaves little time for a replacement test to be found and the level of no shows is around double of what it was before the COVID-19 pandemic and I have no explanation uh, for why so many people are not turning up to do their uh, tests. And uh, the NCT centre say it's important to understand that if a test is lost today for whatever reason, then that vehicle ends up going back into the booking uh, cycle and has to be given another appointment. So that just keeps that uh, figure of how many people are driving around without a valid NCT. It just keeps that figure even uh, higher. And uh, failure rates, what's causing so many people to fail their uh, tests? It could be down to the fact that a survey out has shown that 40% of customers do not have their vehicles serviced before they go for their NCT. Now, what the NCT company are now asking customers they're asking people to prepare their vehicle for the NCT and not to use the service uh, as uh, a diagnostic and I'm wondering how many people do that I know I always go I've kind of got into that sort of habit of having my car serviced just before I'm due my NCT and get my mechanic then to take a look to see am I all am I all set for the NCT so that I know when I go in I've never failed an NCT and I think it's because of that because I've had the service done and I've had the car checked but I have heard of a number of people who do it the other way they go and have the NCT and then the the garage the NCT mechanics will say you failed on this this and this you need this this and this done so they go go away and get it sorted out and then bring it back but of course that's just adding to the people who have to go back and get the car uh, tested again so they're saying preparing your vehicle for the NCT obviously increases the likelihood that you are going to pass. Now the company today is also expected to point out the impact of what they're calling the great resignation and that resulted in workers changing jobs during the pandemic and for Aplus it resulted in 113 vehicle inspectors leaving their jobs and there is a chronic shortage of qualified mechanics uh, in uh, Ireland at the moment and we know and certainly I know a garage that I was always using they closed down for that very reason just this chronic lack of uh, mechanics and we're going to see more and more of that of garages just simply not being able to get qualified mechanics uh, to work so it isn't just the NCT centres it's your ordinary garage as well are having problems
And then within the people that are working, the mechanics that are working at the NCT centres, many of them are ageing out of the trade. More of them are taking advantages of opportunities to use what are transferable skills into non-automotive sectors, for example. Some are going into things like uh, semiconductors, some are going into the pharmaceutical uh, sector. Now, the company sent recruiters to the Philippines in July of last year and within a week they had conducted 120 interviews of Filipino t- uh, mechanics who were willing to come to Ireland. However, it needed then needed a change in the law to allow it to bring the inspectors into Ireland. Now, that finally did happen in August and 44 qualified me- mechanics uh, came to Ireland in November. The company uh, are saying that the next couple of months are likely to also continue to be very challenging. However, on the upside, they are expecting a significant improvement in service delivery in the next six months and they should return to normal later on in the year. But we've got a a good number of months before we get to the end of the year with people battling and struggling to get NC the, to get a valid NCT up and up in their car, and as we've heard from some of a small proportion of our listeners, are fearful of driving without a valid uh, NCT. I know we heard of one woman who said she just point blank would not drive unless she had a valid NCT. Fearful she'd be stopped by the guards, even though we explained to her once she could prove to the guards that she had a test uh, date. So we were trying to speed up her test to give her peace of mind when she's out and about driving. Now the road safety authority, by the way, are also expected uh, to announce that they have plans to open five more NCT uh, centres. We have 49 at the moment, but plans now to open up another five. I don't know where the five are going to be. No doubt that will be uh, announced maybe later uh, today and whether any of those five will be here with us in Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Bridget Murphy is celebrating her 99th birthday today. Happy birthday to you, Bridget, and very obviously named after the saint whose feast day you were born on, all in Buckley Terrace in Drumcolour. Wanting to wish you a very happy birthday, and here's to the big one uh, next year. And thank you to somebody who has sent in a little poster to tell me that St. Bridget's crosses are being made all day today in Clonakilty uh, Library. All ages are welcome. No booking required. You can simply pop in to the library in Clonakilty if you would like to make a St. Bridget's Cross. And Nora says, Patricia, is tonight the night you put out the white cloth for St. Bridget's uh, Day? No, we spoke about that yesterday, Nora. You do that on Saint, uh, the eve of St. Bridget's Day. So that was last uh, night. And then, hi, uh, Patricia. My late mother, uh, who was also called Bridget, used to speak of February Phil Dyke, seemingly after a dry spell. The, dry, the dikes would again start filling up and the farmers would be happy. Rainwater would water the fields. Did anybody ever hear of this? It was just a memory I thought of today on the 1st of February from my uh, beloved uh, late mother. Anybody hear that? February fill dike. I can't say I've ever heard of it before. Uh, it's a pity I didn't. we didn't have that yesterday. I could have asked Michael Fortune, a folklorist. Maybe somebody else has heard about it. Maybe it's a cork. Uh, rural Cork saying February Phil Dyke if anybody else has heard of that on NCTs 
uh, when I mentioned that uh, 375,000 vehicles are on the roads without an NCT and there's going to be an interesting discussion today at the Oireachtas Transport uh, Committee when the National Car Test Atlas are before the Oireachtas uh, Committee. We might try and get somebody from the Oireachtas Committee to join us uh, tomorrow to further expand on what has been said today. Uh, but I mentioned that we know some people are waiting up to six months from when they book a test to when they actually get the test. And here's examples. Somebody said, I booked my NCT on the 19th of the 8th, uh, 2022. So it's the 19th of August. And I finally get to do it tomorrow. So that's just a little under six months waiting. I then booked another car for NCT. I did the booking on the 21st of November last. And the date we've got is the 23rd of May. That's just absolutely crazy and by all indications what the Oireachtas Committee are going to hear today uh, is that uh, we're in for another very tricky uh, number of months ahead are going to be very challenging is what Apples are saying and then it won't return to any kind of normality until later in the year and someone on the people who are driving around without valid NCTs and I think this is a bit unfair said the Gardaí should be out there catching them and putting, putting them all off the roads I completely disagree agree with that. That's not fair. Somebody genuinely can't get an NCT and they've applied and they can show on their phone or they have a, a letter to show that they've booked a date. I don't see why anyone should be put off the road through no fault of their own. They can't get uh, an NCT uh, in on time. And someone says it makes no difference or not whether you get your car uh, serviced. Uh, I, and I also disagree with that because if you get your car serviced and get a mechanic uh, to go through it, you've got a much higher chance of passing your NCT than someone who just puts the car through hoping that that the diagnostic test will tell them if there's anything wrong with the car. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. We've been contacted by some listeners who've received letters from the HSE informing them that some of their personal information was illegally accessed and copied during the cyber attack on the HSC, which happened in May of 2021. Those that contacted us are upset, some are even frightened uh, by what all this means. Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard says a campaign needs to be launched to inform people about what is going on and Senator Tim Lombard uh, joins me. Good morning to you Tim. Good morning. Now you've seen one of these uh, letters can you just outline what they uh, what they contain? Yeah so these are three page letter. Uh, basically what it involves is the information that you're on May 2021 there was a cyber attack on the HSC. Information regarding that cyber attack has been accessed and it involves your own personal information. What that basically means is names, address, PPS numbers, emails and phone numbers have been accessed from the actual HSC account itself. And this relates to 113,000 people, which is a really significant cohort of society. And uh, of that, less than a thousand of those people had financial information taken. All of those people were actually employees of the HSC itself or former employees of the HSC. So no member of the general public was actually involved in the actual financial in, financial uh, details been taken. It was more true to people who worked within the HSC circle itself. All right, so people can take comfort from that because with so many scams uh, doing the round, you can understand people's fears about any of their personal information being stolen and copied. Absolutely, and look, we are all aware of this every day of the week we get unfortunate scams, text messages, access 
email access this text message and there is a general concern out there about the information that's out there there is really significant information that people that if they want to get involved in a scam can actually talk to you about it and talk you into doing something inappropriate like they have your name your pps number your email address they have really significant personal information and the people that called to my office about this were generally really uh, concerned because this happened in May 2021. It's been 20 months since this happened. And because of that, people would have forgotten about it and would have moved on in their lives. And they now literally 20 months later are getting a three-page letter explaining in detail where this information has gone. And they are generally concerned it came out of the blue. Yeah, I, I, I do think that that's the, you've hit the nail on the head, certainly from when we started getting contact, probably about two weeks ago, I think was the first listener that contacted us saying, because he thought it was isolated. He said, am I the only one? Has anybody else received this letter? And initially we couldn't find anyone else. And then suddenly, nearly every day after that, we started getting other people contacting us saying, yes, well, I've, I've received a letter as well. Should the HSE have warned people that they were about to start issuing these letters. Absolutely, and I think and what's after happening now is a drip drip approach. You've got a one hundred and thirteen thousand letters issued between now and the end of April. Like I couldn't understand why they didn't post them all on the exact same day. Tell people what was happening, tell them it's going to be the first of February and you're going to receive communications regarding this and have an immediate campaign. In fact what they've done is over the last week they'll start to post these letters and now till the end of April, they'll be continuously posting up to 113,000 three-page letters to people around Ireland regarding their data being taken. And there has been no campaign. There's been no media campaign. There's been no radio campaign. And because of that, the general public have been in the dark about these letters literally coming in the door. And do, have you any knowledge or can you have you any understanding of why it's taken? it's going to take until April to get all the letters out? And that is... A really, really good question. It makes no logical sense. Like, we understand they have the details of the 113,000 people that are affected. They have the details of the 1,000 people that are affected with their financial um, issues that had financial information taken. Like, how they could not have this done in one week, pick a week, get it out of the way, have your media campaign before it, tell people it's going to be posted. It makes no logical sense. Like it's a computer-generated letter. It's not that they're handwriting. It's not that somebody is sitting down handwriting 113,000 letters <laughs> and licking exactly the stamps and putting them on the envelopes. Like just an administrative issue. Nothing more, nothing less. Like yeah. they have the information. They know the people. They know where they need to go. And like, unfortunately, to court, people have come into my office and banded about this, having of a certain generation, a certain age, and they're generally concerned. And they're right to be concerned because. Look, this is something new to them. This is, they're very concerned about even banking details. They might have paid for something over the phone. They might have given their banking details when they got A&E or something similar. And they're just generally concerned how much information is out there. And look, some of this information was on the dark web after the uh, incident in May of 2021. It was subsequently taken down. But like, who's not to say that that information might appear at another stage, at another place, and you could have people getting bogus phone calls regarding issues pertaining to their information. And people need to be aware of that, and people need to have the information about it. And I think the campaigns that I'm calling for has to be involving, you're going to get a letter, if you do, this is what you have to do. But in fo- going forward, you need to be assured that there's a process in place that you can be protected. 
and people yeah. need that information. And, and it is important to point out that the, you know, the HSE repains to point out that there's no evidence that any Absolutely. of the illegally accessed information has been used in criminal scams or fraud. But it, as you say, that is for now. And, and that's the fear. And, and in the letter, um, they also talk about the possibility of fraud. Don't they? They, they talk about and warn people to you know, be aware of suspicious calls, be aware of emails and texts and don't click on any links. And I think that's what frightens people when they see that. They think, oh, my God, they've got all my information. I may be targeted. Absolutely. I think that's the fear that's out there because it's quite significant information. It's your name, your address, PPS number, email address and even your telephone number on some of these cases. And that's an awful information when you come to knowing something about a person. And because of that, there's multiple ways of trying to make contact. And because of that, we need to have a really significant educational and media campaign to help the 113,000 people out there that are actually going to get these letters in the next uh, four weeks. And going forward for that, they just need to get information about how they can manage their affairs. Majority of this is very simple. It's basic stuff. It's making sure you don't click on to, to a link on a, on a text message that you get. Be very conscious of getting phone calls, all this kind of stuff. Very, very basic stuff. But I do think the general public needs to be made aware of that. And that information and that campaign has to be led by the HSE. Would Until you go so far as to say the Minister Stephen Donnelly should issue a statement? Oh, I've put down something called a commencing debate, uh, asking the Minister to come to the Chamber and the Shannon about this issue. Because I think the Minister needs to come and make a public statement about it because even that would raise, like this conversation today has been really important because it's going to make sure people in West Cork know what's happening. But like people around Ireland need to start knowing that there's 113 letters going to arrive and the Minister needs to make a public statement about it. So everyone is in the loop when it comes to when or if that letter arrives, what you need to do, what you need to take care of and what's the long-term implication for that data out there. But oh. the, other, the other issue is the the HSC staff, like there's a thousand HSC staff that they're the they're the ones I'd most worry about, the ones yeah, whose financial yeah, yeah. information. So they've got their bank account details. That's it, and yeah. that's the real issue. So you have as much as it's very unfortunate for the other hundred and twelve thousand people, but for that thousand cohort, like there's potentially banking details out there which are really significant, and I think that's something that HSC needs to start talking to their staff about and really have a good, decent conversation about what's after happening here because of all the people been affected, the HSC staff and former staff too, uh, that potentially could be in this loop is significant. A thousand people could have banking information leaked and that is the most significant of all. Okay, well we've done our bit today for people who may in the coming days and weeks receive a letter from the uh, HSC. I think it's for people to know they're not on their own as well because I think a lot of people thought it was just their information had been stolen but it's a a huge, huge number. And I think you know, that figure of 113,000, when people hear that, they realise that they're not on their own because the people that came to me in the office thought they were the only people yeah, in the band and they yeah. got, got we, the letter. We were the same. We, we, we were the same with the cause. And also, again, please take comfort from the fact there's no evidence of any illegally Absolutely. accessed information that's been used in criminal scams or fraud uh, to date. OK, listen, keep us posted on this. And uh, Tim, in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, West Cork Senator Tim Lambert. Yesterday on the programme, we spoke around the tradition surrounding St Bridget's Day and in particular St Bridget's Eve and we mentioned how every year from now on we will celebrate this day with an extra bank holiday well my next guest believes St Bridget's public holiday has the potential to grow and rival the global appeal of St Patrick's Day and to explain why Paul Davis of Davis Events Agency uh, joins me good morning to you Paul 
Good morning, Patricia. Good to talk to you today. And happy St. Bridget's Day to you. Thank you. You too, Patricia. Happy St. Bridget's Day. <laughs> now, do you believe a celebration around St. Bridget's Day is long overdue in this country? Yeah, Patricia, I do. I think like St. Bridget's Day has always been a really important time of year and festival for people in Ireland and around the world. And, you know, the pre-Christian sort of traditions still stand as well and Imbolic and the whole movement of, you know, we're coming out of winter and it's been it's a great start to the year. Obviously, we all learned in schools by making St. Bridget's Day crosses and that kind of stuff. But the, the, the tradition of St. Bridget's, St. Bridget's herself is very important and inspirational for women. There was a pre-Christian goddess who was a really important factor and an inspiration for you know strong women and everything as well. So it's a fantastic international platform now to grow something special, you know, to represent Ireland and particularly like there isn't another women's uh, public holiday in Ireland and there aren't many around the world either. So it's it's a great thing that we're doing and we're finally marking this time formally. Yeah, and we had a folklorist on uh, yesterday just talking about the, the old traditions associated around this time. And he was explaining that um, St. Bridget is recognised in other countries. There's parts of Spain and Portugal. I think he said Germany as well that honour and mark uh, St. Bridget's Day. So her name is already out there. Uh, so it's just to push that, isn't it? And to, to get the international side of it out there more. It is, yeah. I mean, it's a great opportunity as well because it lands between obviously Christmas and, you know, in March in other countries, there are other celebrations that we've got St. Patrick's Day. So people are looking for, a, a, you know, a good, a good way to get a, something going commercially as well as culturally. Um, at this time of year and for businesses it's more important than ever for employers to work on their organisation's gender balance and engage with this holiday in a meaningful way and that gives them the chance to show they take it seriously because as I said it is authentic and it's real it comes from something real over the centuries so it's not like it's made up but it's a good thing for people to connect with and I think if we grow it here authentically from Ireland it'll really become something international people will travel to Ireland like we're finding businesses as well as cultural organisations and government agencies are really getting behind it this year. We're doing a lot of work with local authorities and companies around the country, um, celebrating in Bullock, celebrating St. Bridget's Day, and also, you know, supporting employees in the workplace and helping them sort of to restart the year and using this as a, a leverage to, to restart, whether it's a kickoff conference or some kind of inspirational moments in the workplace. Because we know that St. Patrick's Day, I mean, it generates millions of euro around the world i mean it's it's now we need to now try to grow the potential of st bridget's day exactly patricia yeah i mean the potential is there it's a great thing to do and as i said it's not like we're making something up here it's a real authentic moment in irish irish history and it's a contribution ireland has made as you said to the world so like st bridget's is known around the world already and we need to, to really highlight that and build a platform and people will come to ireland at this time of year as well there are in fact, some tourists that we've come across who have travelled to Ireland. And I think that's that's something that will grow. St. Patrick's Day generates millions and millions of euro in Ireland and around the world. But it also provides a platform of people finding out about Ireland in other countries. And that's something that we can grow around St. Bridget's Day as well. That yeah. we, can, we can get this to happen around the world. Yeah, and we always talk about the, the t and we're, we're already doing it this year, we always talk about the tourism season kind of kicks off around uh, St. Patrick's Day. I mean, wouldn't it be terrific if we could get our tourist season to kick off around this weekend at the start of February? Well, it would exactly, Patricia. Yeah, it'd be great. And I mean, I think that's possibly partly why people are focusing so much on it. It, it could extend the season 
start the new season earlier and you know people will just to come out of christmas have a break after christmas and then have a great commercial boost and a tourism boost in at this at the start of february so it'll be fantastic not unlike the way halloween has grown mm. into something that, that kind of extends the summer season a little bit towards the winter yeah that's a good point and i, and you, I think you're 100 percent right in that it couldn't come at a better time of the year you know we've just put yeah. the long dark days of january uh, before us so i mean i'm assuming this is something that will start small but would you expect to see more and more events organized here at home to mark the public holiday in the years going ahead. Yeah, definitely, Patricia. I mean, this year, in the year coming, it's 1500th. It's the 1500th anniversary of St. Bridget the Saint, the Christian Saint. So that's a real opportunity for people, for companies and for local authorities and for government agencies to get behind this. Now, there is a 1500 festival in Kildare. And they've started to drive this out as, as something that should really mark the whole, you know, be marked around the whole country. So this is a great opportunity. This year is the first year we're coming into 1500. So that's a great opportunity, I think, for people to really get behind it. And also a real chance to mark women's contribution to society and indeed to the economy. It is. Yeah. I mean, we all know the contribution that women have made and they were airbrushed out of history at some points in the past. Um, and, you know, like going way back to millenniums, to millennia past. I mean, obviously, this was one of the most important times of the year coming out of the winter, as you said, coming out of the dark periods of you know, tough winters and growth and rebirth and opening up and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a strong woman who, you know, gave so much to community and to society and to originally to farming and all that kind of stuff. So it's important that it's kind of marked again, but it does reflect, yeah, the contribution of women to society, to community and uh, everything else. Well said, well said. And it would be just fantastic if we could extend the tourism season because we know how, how important that is to the Irish economy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's a great time to do it because people have come out of a tough winter every year and, you know, it's still kind of cold and that kind of stuff. So it'd be great to extend that that forward a little bit, kick it off a little bit earlier, get more people coming to visit places all around the country, and especially around Cork, obviously, where there's lots of opportunities for people to come and visit fantastic things around the city and county. Um, not forgetting the uh, preparation for the Cork City Marathon, so people could start that a little bit earlier as well. Okay. All right, Paul, listen, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the programme no this morning. Great, thanks. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Paul Davis there of Davis Events uh, Agency with a prediction that St. Bridget's Day has the possibility to rival uh, St. Patrick's uh, Day. Eddie in Bandon on St. Bridget when somebody mentioned that they remembered their mother talking about a Phil Dyke, which I hadn't, February Phil Dyke. Uh, Eddie says, yeah, February Phil Dyke is a very old saying on St. Bridget's Day and it means that we would have a very wet February so the rain would fill the dikes. Yeah, and as somebody else pointed out that the old the old Pishog was that if you had a wet February it meant that you were going to have a very dry and a hot summer. So we're going to have to wait to the end of the month to see if we're going to get a wet February or not. 0818103103 A number of people contacting us on the NCT uh, tests uh, let me just get you some of the thoughts coming in on that. Uh, Bill in Clonakilty said, very simple way 
of stopping the no-showers. These are the people who are not showing up at the uh, NCT and they, they reckon about 3,500 uh, people a week and obviously that then stops somebody getting their uh, test. If they don't show up and don't contact the NCT centre at, at least three days before, then Bill says put a €100 Euro fine onto their next test and that'll teach him, says Bill. If that happened one or two times of not, of not showing and have to pay the extra money, they'd be very quick about changing uh, their minds. The guard, they also do a speed blitz every weekend. Come March, they should do an NCT blitz and check those who are not even going to get their NCT or people who are not even trying. If somebody has no NCT and cannot prove that they have applied for their test, then Bill says that the test, the car should simply be taken off them. But here's an example of somebody who was a no-show through no fault of their own. Uh, Patricia Indoris uh, says, in the case of the Skibbereen Test Centre, I had an appointment on the 17th of January. I was forced to cancel on the day purely because we were snowed in. I would have a 50 kilometre round trip to the test centre and there was no way I was risking it on account of how icy the roads were. Bad weather combined with our, the rural aspect in the Skibbereen catchment area should be taken into consideration regarding the no-show f- figures. And listen, Patricia, that's a very genuine reason for a no-show and you will always get people uh, like that or there will be a medical issue. I know, for example, I had a test date last October and a week out from it we're about five days out from it I got Covid so obviously I I was isolating I couldn't go anywhere so I ended up having to cancel that test and there will always be reasons uh, for that but two and a half thousand people don't show up and don't even cancel their test there's a thousand people who do cancel in the days leading up but just don't give enough time for them to reissue the tests but I think in particular it's the two and a half thousand no shows who don't even give an explanation. That's a very genuine reason and nobody will take from somebody who is a very genuine reason for not turning up. But three and a half thousand people every week sounds like a lot of people and we don't get that many snow days. There couldn't have been that many people snowed in on that particular uh, day. Uh, Thank you for your uh, text, uh, Patricia. Mary rang the NCT office and got an appointment for 13 days later, rang again for a retest and got an appointment on the bank holiday Monday in Charleville. She doesn't know why people are waiting so long. Well, I think the people that are waiting so long are the people that are just simply going online, applying for the test. The test date they're given can be up to, as some of our listeners have already messaged in, can be up to uh, six months away and they are just taking that uh, date uh, and that's what's happening. That's why people are waiting so long. But yes, we've had lots of examples of people ringing the NCT when they urgently needed a test and certainly were able to get it. Somebody said my NCT was due on the 16th of December I booked mine for September the 28th. I did it in, in Little Island. I had no problem at all. I think it's a waste of time that they're debating this in the Transport Committee. I don't, I don't agree with you that it's a waste of time. They're debating it because there's so many cars on the road that don't have a valid NCT. And then that could cause problems because what if some of those cars are actually not roadworthy? They shouldn't actually be on the road. And here's a text in that will worry a lot of people. Patricia, my son's insurance has just come through the door and it clearly states in bold print that you have to have a valid NCT. 
and we'll get that checked. We'll get that checked with Paul Kavanagh, our insurance uh, expert, because we know that we have had people who've had to insure their car and their NCT was due the following week, the following month or whatever, and they didn't have a valid NCT test and they weren't able to get one on time. But that certainly is going to, if all insurance companies go down that route and say that they're not going to insure your car unless you have a valid NCT, that is going to put huge pressure on uh, Apples, the, con- the company that run the National Test Centre, because you're going to have a huge number of people contacting them saying, I need my NCT and I need it ASAP. Because we know we've heard of people who you're not, you're not able to go and get your driving test unless you have a valid NCT. And we had a case of a young lad who was about to do his driving test and the NCT was out and the test date wasn't due until uh, about two weeks after the test date. Now, we got that sorted by getting the mother to ring and they were very good and they accommodated and the car went through the test and, and they got their NCT. But I do know for a fact that you can't do your driving test uh, without an NCT but certainly that's a new one that an insurance company is saying you must have a valid NCT in order for your insurance in order to take out your insurance is that going to become common practice Uh, we'll see if we can find out more on that and someone else says those who don't turn up for their NCT plain and uh, simple they should be fined it's not fair on others who are desperately waiting to do a uh, test a little bit of good news for Betty from Kenturk who joined us yesterday because she had a problem with the street light right outside her house has been gone since the Christmas week I think it went and she was reporting it to NRVO who are the company responsible for streetlights in this country and she kept reporting it she was promised dates and nothing happened and she got on to us to see if we could do anything uh, to sort it out so we got on to NRVO yesterday and they've come back to us they've apologised for the delay in getting Betty's light outside her house sorted out and the big problem was Betty has somebody in the house who has special needs and it was proving quite problematic it was so dark outside her house at night and early in the morning getting in and out of the uh, in and out of the house and um, you know and she was just uh, afraid somebody might have an accident or fall uh, anyway they've got back to us and said they have escalated it to senior management and that the street light should be fixed sooner than was scheduled because when we got on yesterday we were told the scheduled date was for the middle of February I think it was something on the 15th of February and we were saying that's way too long particularly when Betty has been on to the company since uh, Christmas week and could they speed it up and in any way so they've come back and they've also apologised so Betty hopefully the light will be shining down on you very soon and will you please keep us updated and let us know when your streetlight is sorted. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As some people are saying this is the start of spring, others are saying it's not the start of spring but look we're just looking forward to uh, brighter evenings and the possibility that summer is just around the corner and summer days and all of that and to celebrate that summer is just around the corner we here at C103 are doing a summer giveaway and it is coming soon. We will want to send you and a friend on a fantastic sunshine holiday this year. All of the details are coming your way after the bank holiday weekend next Monday morning. So make sure you're tuned in next Monday morning to have to hear details of the C103's summer getaway. And it'll be your chance for you and a, another uh, to get away on a fantastic sunshine holiday only on C103. Now, some of your calls and comments coming into the programme. This is one that is worth noting from uh, Deirdre in uh, Rochester. She was starting to hear from people 
people who were receiving massive gas bills uh, for the sort of the last two months, kind of the December, January or the November into December into January, sort of that eight week period. People getting massive bills, bills of 700, 800 euro for a two month uh, period. So that was making Deirdre a bit nervous waiting for her bill to arrive. So she decided that she would do a gas meter reading and submit the gas meter reading to make sure that she got an up-to-date and a spot-on accurate bill rather than an estimated bill. So anyway, her bill arrived and uh, she's discovered her bill is only €97, so she's a huge sigh of relief. But she was chatting with her neighbour who didn't read her meter and who who got an estimated bill instead and her bill came in at €550. So Deirdre said, will you pass on a tip to people who still haven't had their gas bills yet to make sure that they submit a meter reading rather than getting an estimated bill. Now the only thing is if the estimated bill uh, is uh, higher it will balance out over the coming months but you can get a bit of a shock at this time of year if you get a massive bill in that you weren't expecting and actually Deirdre I'll back that up by saying a lot of people that I've heard of who've received huge bills you know two and three times what they would have paid uh, last year and they were expecting it to go up but not to go up by that much a lot of the people now that I think about it it was an estimated bill so I don't know if they're just uh, deliberately estimating the bills higher and I, and I don't know why they would do that because they say it will level out them when you get the meter read over the next number of uh, months but uh, it's just a good tip to pass on to people. Thank you for your call, uh, Deirdre, this morning. And then a couple of people have contacted us on kind of health-related issues. Jim was on to us to say Saturday the 21st, is that last Saturday? Um, or on the weekend before, he fell and unfortunately injured his knee and his ankle badly and he had to go to Cork University Hospital. Now, he was taken up by car and he arrived there at about 8 o'clock in the evening. He was unable to get out of the car. He wasn't able to put any weight on his uh, the the knee and the ankle that was uh, damaged. So the friend who had very kindly f- kindly brought him to the accident emergency department went in and said, "Look, I need a bit of help. Friends out in the car, injured leg, can't get out." So an, att- an attendant, really nice attendant, came out with a wheelchair. But um, Jim said totally inadequate. He just simply couldn't get into the wheelchair in the pain he was in. So he said to him, "Could one of the ambulance guys come out and help me? Maybe you know, bring me in on a stretcher, for example." But the attendant said, "Sorry, I can't do anything about that. It's a different department." so I can't go to the ambulance department to get them to come and help you so in the end between Jim's friend and the attendant they managed to bundle him out of the car but he said he was in desperate pain and he ended up in enduring agony while all that was going on he thought it was an awful carry on to use his own words that surely with ambulance personnel close to hand but just the fact that it's a different department uh, one you know one hand should be able to know what the other hand is doing and should be able to help everybody uh, out he thought it was disgraceful hopefully you're making a full recovery from your knee and ankle injury Jim but then Gary was on to us kind of a a similar well a different tale but again it's to do with the leg uh, injury for all Gary fell and he broke his leg and also broke a bone in part he broke his ankle and then broke a bone in part of his leg it happened last week now he's got private health insurance and he needs to get an MRI done the consultant said as you have VHI you know go and book an MRI uh, scan so 
Gary started on this journey of trying to get an MRI. He he was sent to the martyr, but they said there's a waiting list for their MRI and he'd be waiting 10 days. Now, he urgently needs this MRI scan before anything can be done. Any treatment can be done for Gary with his broken ankle and the broken part of his leg. Now, his GP got onto it. He tried his best to see if he could fast track it, but no, no luck at all. Today, he's on day 12 with it. Still hasn't got the MRI uh, scan. He went into the martyr himself and asked them, was there a possibility of a cancellation? And they said that they have a list for the MRI and then they have a separate list of people who are on a cancellation list. Now, they could add him to that list, but obviously that was quite a lengthy list. So he then decided to check out how many places around the country have an MRI scanner. And he sat down and he started ringing from Dublin to Ballinasloe and everywhere in between to see could anybody fit him in. Now, he did get on to some clinic in Ballinasloe and they said that they could give him an MRI scan in four days time. He ended up ringing Arkeen Hospital in Waterford and they tro- told him to try a company called um, Allegiance which operate in Cork. They operate on the grounds of CUH. So he contacted them. They're now incorporated into the HSE and he was told by a receptionist there that they had availability and he finally has an appointment uh, tomorrow. However, he will have to pay upfront and then have to recoup the money from the VHI. But his the main thrust of his story is that he could not believe even with health insurance. And he says, even if you've got health insurance, you still have to wait. And also what he was jolly annoyed about was the fact that he had to do all of the work himself to try to find an MRI. And he said, you know, believe me, he needs it fast as nobody will look at him for physio or anything will be done without having this MRI. Isn't that just a crazy crazy uh, situation it really is Uh, good luck with the MRI uh, tomorrow and hopefully you will get the help that you need and and you'll get back on your feet pardon the pun uh, very very soon 0818 103 103 staying on NCT's Dan says if I'm waiting for six months for the NCT and then I pass the NCT I get the NCT cert just for six months as they backdate it to the date that the original NCT was due. It happened with my daughter. She had her first NCT up in August, but only got the NCT last uh, week, but it's backdated to last August. Yeah, that's always the way it's been, Dan. And I know people find that very annoying and feel that the, if it's a one-year or a two-year NCT that you're, you're being given, that people feel you should get it from the date that you do your NCT. And then Dennis says, come on now, Patricia, why don't you step up and book your NCT for this year? Do it right now and then you won't have to be complaining that you couldn't get one later in the year considering slots are available for August and September of this year and then be ready and go and not have to sit and wait on a cancellation list looking for an appointment says Dennis well there's one problem there Dennis in that you can't book that far ahead the NCT regulations allow you to book a test 90 days in advance of your test due date and that now doesn't affect the expiry date of the certificate that they uh, issue but you can only do it 90 days in advance so if you've got like um, like that listener there Dan's daughter who got her test in August 
She only got it this week and she'll be due another test in August. She can't apply for that test in August until three months, 90 days before the test date. So you can't book a year in advance, fortunately or unfortunately. Uh, 0818103103. And Paddy and Carrie Galine uh, wants to know people's thoughts on the GAA's decision to replay the All-Ireland Senior Club football final. He feels that Kilmacud Croaks should have been fined. He said it's a ridiculous decision to ask for a replay. Who's to say that all the players will be available? And of course, we mentioned this because this story broke actually while we were on air uh, yesterday that the both teams are going to have to replay. There was the Dublin Kilmacud Croaks. Um, uh, their win now has been annulled and they're going to have to play Glen from Derry once again. Kilmacud won the game 111 to 19, but of course, as we all know, they had 16 players on the field during injury time. Uh, the Glen were urgently seeking a match winning goal in the dying seconds of the final, which happened on the 22nd of January. Kilmacud made two substitutions, but of course, there's video evidence there showing one of their substitute players de- were defending the goal line as Glen prepared to take that crucial. Uh, 45 in all actually there were 17 not 16 there were 17 Kilmacud players actually on the pitch during that last play of the game as the second player was slowly walking towards uh, the dugout area after being substituted and he was actually still on the pitch and of course yesterday we heard that the GAA's Central Competitions Control Committee the CCCC yesterday upheld the objection by Glenn and they've ordered the game to be replayed now a match date hasn't yet been announced because it's now anticipated that Kilmacud will lodge an appeal uh, and they have their deadline is 11 o'clock on Friday. They have a three day deadline and of course the the news came out yesterday at 11 o'clock so they haven't at 11 o'clock on Friday. So it's expected they'll lodge an appeal with a meeting then of the Central Appeals Committee likely to take place early next week and then whatever their decision that goes back to both Kilmacud Croaks and to Glen. And if either teams are unhappy with the Central Appeals Committee decision, uh, they then can lodge a final appeal to the Disputes Resolution Authority. And then that final decision is the one that they'll have to abide by. So there's still more to play out in this particular uh, debacle. But was it a right or a wrong decision? Were the CCCC right to order a replay? Because there were certainly the 16 players around the goal and there's been so many pictures uh, doing the rounds on newspapers and on the internet with all of the 16 uh, Kilmacud players circles. So you can clearly see and they were all there is one, two, three, four, five of them and the goalie six very clearly defending the goal as the Glen are trying to make one last ditch attempt for a goal in the dying uh, moments. Or would you be with Paddy and Carrie Galine that a fine would have been sufficient? Your thoughts welcomed? 0818 103 103. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. General Labour is wanted. You need to have a C1 driving licence. It's wanted for the North Cork area. You email northcorkrecruitment at gmail.com. Head HGV mechanic is wanted. That's from Middleton 086 826 5599. Q 
Community employment roles are available in Charleville and the surrounding areas. Vacancies include groundskeepers, environmental workers and admin assistants. For more details, you email Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie. And Fota Island Resort, Resort will hold an accommodation recruitment morning on Wednesday the 8th of February from 10am to 12 noon. They're hiring across all accommodation teams within the resort. Full and part-time positions are available and there's also flexibility in shift patterns. CVs, uh, bring along your CV on the day. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. And just on gas bills with Deirdre uh, making the point for people to make sure that you send in an accurate reading of your gas meter that some of the estimated bills seem to be incredibly high. But somebody else is saying the price of gas has gone really, really expensive. This is says I don't get a gas bill I am on prepaid power for my gas but since October of last year I'm using between 30 and 35 euro just for two hours of gas a day I live on my own I live in a two bedroomed bungalow before it would only cost between 10 and 15 euro for two hours of gas and I'm assuming this is when the heating is on I've ended up having to turn the gas off and locked just after Christmas because I simply can't afford it out of my pension goodness uh, me and I'm wondering what you're doing for heating now that's incredible but I mean to have gone somebody living on a very fixed income to go from 10 to 15 euro to 30 to 35 that's you know double what they had been paying that just seems an incredible amount of money uh, indeed that really is um that really is uh, shocking um uh, i don't know what to, i don't know what that lady is doing for for heating now but had to just switch off the prepaid power because uh, for gas just simply too expensive 0818103103 now the Disabled Drivers Association of Ireland has called on the government to change existing legislation so that Gardaí and traffic wardens can impose fines on drivers who illegally park in accessible parking bays in private car parks to discuss a new campaign that they're calling Baywatch I'm joined by communications manager with the Disabled Drivers Association, and that is Richard Ryder. Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning. Uh, You're very welcome. Do you hear from many members who arrive at a private car park? I'm thinking like a shopping centre, only to discover that all of the bays are gone and that some of them are being used by people who don't have a blue badge on their car. All the time. You know that old saying, if I had a penny for every time I was told that. Yes, I get emails every week um, from our members and uh, saying that, you know, there's a local shopping centre, they go down and all the spaces are gone. And what I'm calling some of these people are serial bay abusers because it's the same people doing it all the time. And they say to me, is there anything I can do about this? And the first question I ask is, is it a private car park? And if the answer is yes, I tell them, no, there's nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is go to the management of that particular uh, place, whether it's a shopping centre or a hospital, whatever, and, 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 and take it up with them because the guards just don't have the powers to do it. So that's what we're trying to do is to tackle that uh, glaring hole in the existing legislation. And it's not that there is a huge amount of these bays, Richard? 
does not know. There's only a certain percentage of bays there that everybody knows when they do go to some of these um, outlets. So they're very important, and there's a reason that those spaces are wider and bigger because people with disabilities need them. For for example, maybe they might have a ramp or a lift at the back of their vehicle or the side. So they need to be able to deploy the lift. As you can imagine, you need you need about two metres behind the vehicle to be able to do that. So if somebody parks up behind or beside in a regular park or space, it's not going to work. You know yourself, sometimes when you go to a car park and you park in a space, and when you get out of the car, you have to kind of, well, I do anyway, suck me tummy. Yeah, yeah, and wiggle your way out. Just doesn't work. Yeah, and that won't work for somebody with a disability. Or We have a problem with, Richard, your phone is just breaking up slightly. So just ah. No, no, you're okay. Just don't, just don't move too don't much. Move. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know um, uh, it was before Christmas in a supermarket uh, car park. I went to a woman because I could see that she was having a bit of, uh, of a problem. She was parked in Disabled Bay. She was in a wheelchair and somebody had parked their car beside hers and she couldn't then get in to slide out of her wheelchair. It was just crazy. So I yeah. went and said, look, will I go in and ask them to put, you know, put an announcement over the tannoy to see whoever owned the car? And then suddenly this um, other woman came along. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But no. just had no understanding yeah. of, you know, now luckily it was a dry day, but that could have been, could have been pouring out of the heavens. And this woman literally was stuck. She could not get into her car to drive home. And for the people that arrive and their bay isn't available, what, what, what does that mean? Driving around until there's one available or in some cases just going home? Going home, yeah. Ah. And you've, said it very, you've explained it very, very well there. That's what happens. People do go home because, as I say, a person with a disability has to plan their journey. So if they're going into town, they might say, OK, I'm going to go to that particular venue. I need to, is that park space available, etc.? And if it's not, they have to go home. Now, it's fine if it's, you know, if it's taken up by somebody who has a, a card, well, look, that's just the way it is. But if not, if it's taken up by somebody who's abusing it, that's where the problem starts. Very stressful, very discommoding and very annoying and it shouldn't happen. should never park even for a minute, as people say. It won't be in for a minute. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't and, and and I think a lot of people, and when I was teeing up that you were coming on the programme today, a lot of people are taken aback that fines and, and penalties uh, for people who are illegally parked in a disabled bay in a private car park can't be issued at the moment. A lot of people are, are, didn't know that. No, and we did a, a national survey um, and 42% of Irish adults interviewed thought that they could. 45% interviews said they didn't know so it's a very grey area and that's why we're highlighting this issue now and we want our Baywatch campaign to be successful and to make it 100% clear to everybody that you know that a driver parking legally in either a private or public will get a fine and that, that's just the height of it you know we also need more enforcement um, 70% of our members have said that their blue badge or parking permit has Selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. never been inspected by a guard or a traffic warden or even a private car operator so that that goes to show you because we know there 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 can be and there is abuse of the blue badge oh there is that's another that's another day's work i could come on and talk about that <laughs> what happens with that you won't believe some of your listeners will not believe what actually happens so say a mum or dad passes away sadly the person continues to use the card, their mum or dad's card, to use to go shopping or to yeah to park illegally in spaces. That's horrendous to me. Um, it's just I couldn't imagine you even doing that, could you? No, no, no. no. And actually, I, I I have one of those badges because yeah. I have a deaf blind uh, daughter, yeah. uh, and 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 I try my best, and I would never use it unless she's in the car, or she's in the car with me. But even at that, I try and see if there is that I can get a normal parking space because I hate if I'm taking the last one and it's only if I absolutely have to if I'm in a rush to get her somewhere or if the weather is particularly bad because everything can, is so much slower with her uh, but I'm I'm always conscious of that and I would never and I remember going into a car park one day and it was it was very busy and there was like it was a car park attendant and he saw the badge and he pointed at me and I said no I'm not entitled to use it I don't have my daughter with it. and he said go on yeah, you're you fine go. and I said forget no, it there's just no. no way I would do that and what, what about the management of um, shopping centres can and do they help in any way? Well they do, I suppose you have seen when you go in you'll see clamping in operation here, so if you park in a wheelchair accessible spot um, you can be clamped and that will be a third party operator we'll, You know, they, they'll have the, the licence to go in and do that, but it's kind of hit and miss Trisha, it doesn't happen all the time and that's what we're hearing, that one day you might be, one day you mightn't be, so and people know that, so they'll take a chance Yeah um, so no, you 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 highlighted very well there that the person just to, to bring that hit that home that the, the person with the disability has to be in the vehicle at the time the card's being used. So you can't have it like oh I'm going to go ha- shopping on behalf of my mum or dad and take the card and nip down to the shop. Mm. You can't do that. No, you know? no, no. So, and, um, and and so are you saying we need a change in the legislation in order that the guardie or a traffic yeah. ward can? Oh, okay. Yeah. See, the legislation is contained in the road traffic regulations, which essentially means that if there's no local authority sign um, over the parking spot, then the, the guards or traffic warden cannot issue a fixed charge notice. So you'll notice that now next time you're in. If you're on a public one, you'll see a local authority sign yeah. for city. Um, but in the private ones, there's not. And that, that's where the legislation is. So it's all down to private property. And we need to get into the nitty gritty with that with the Department of Transport and try and get them to change it. Someone else wants to know, are the, are the fines enough? Should there be stronger penalties? 
should be, yeah. Mm. Um, in my years, I'm 25 years working in the disability sector, and the only thing that's changed is the fine has increased from 80 euro to 150 euro. And Shane Ross did that about well, three or four years ago, and fair play to him, because um, we called for it. But that, that's the only change. I think it should be 500 euro, and then that might stop somebody um, doing it, you know. Okay, all right. And I think it's always important when we talk about it just to make people aware because you'll get that, oh, I was only going in for a minute. No. It's no. that one minute when somebody's yeah. passing that needs that bay. And you know so well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Listen, uh, Richard, always good to talk to you. Thank you, you for that. So and uh, good luck with the campaign. Thanks for yeah, joining thank us. Bye uh, bye. bye. That is uh, Richard Ryder, uh, who is communications manager with the Disabled Drivers Association. Please, please, please stop and uh, think if uh, you're going to park the car and it's always handy and they're nice, big, wide bay and they're usually close uh, to the door of the shop or the shopping centre that you want to go into but just think of the people who genuinely need them in order to leave, lead an independent life as possible but the other one though if you're parking anywhere close by those bays just be aware I mean that poor woman that I went over to to try to help out I mean she was sitting there just lost she could not get into uh, her uh, car and she had all her shopping with her and everything and it was just you know it was awful it was it was just awful to see it my heart just uh, really went out to her so just be, be mindful when you do park beside a disabled bay make sure there's enough room if a wheelchair has to get in to the side of the car or behind the car and someone just sent in a whatsapp saying, saying just as you're talking about parking spaces and we were talking about the disabled bays uh, this morning well I was in Aldi's in Charleville four mother and toddler spaces were taken up with no children in any car I had to wait for a space so people are abusing the mother and toddler spaces as well please leave those particularly for mothers and fathers with uh, smallies in the car 0818 103 103 now Adair Productions are putting a call out for talented young singers they must be between the ages of 9 and 14 who would like to take part in the selection process for Ireland's entry to this year's Junior Eurovision Song Contest and to find out what it takes I'm joined by last year's winner and that's Sophie Lennon from Mayo Bridge in County Down good morning to you Sophie Hiya, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose take me back to uh, around this time last year, I take it. Uh, why did you decide to enter the competition? Well, I decided to enter the competition because my mum actually saw um, she it. She was just going through Facebook just like any normal mum does. And then she um, found the auditions for Junior Vision um, era. So um, my mum turned around to me and she's like, Sophie, you know this would be like a brilliant idea. And I was like, oh my goodness, yes, that would be a brilliant idea. So I was like, sure, why not just go for it and whatever happens, happens. We went for it. I got through to the haze. Thank, like, oh my goodness, thankful. I was so thankful. And I got through to semifinals and then I got through to finals, which was a public vote. And then, so so, so, so um, there's quite a lot in the selection process. It isn't just simply turning up, auditioning yeah, and you it, get it, picked. It, 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 it's quite a lot, yeah, but I mean, it was an amazing experience for me. I loved it and I really am. And were you able to choose the, this, your own songs for the selection process of what you'd sing? Um, well, I think I got to pick it for the heat, but um, I was given the other two songs. Okay. And then the, uh, it was a public vote then. Was, was that televised? Um, yeah, the public vote was televised. It um, occurred for a full week. And then on the finals, um, it was so stressful because we were just all sitting there and we're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Um, but then I was so thankful to have won and um, get my song Solicitor. And when I first heard it, I 
was, oh my goodness, it was just a beautiful song and I actually started tearing up a little bit. Ah, now this is, the, the, the competition, they're looking for the singer and then once the singer is selected, you're then given the song. Isn't that how it works? Um, yes, once the singer is selected, you are, um, they write a song for you. Yeah. yeah, and yours was, and it was, it was in. Is it always us? Is it always us, Quailka, the, the winning song? I know yours was. Uh, yeah, in the, in the junior version, it's always in Irish, and um, in the adult, it's actually in English. But in the junior, it's always Irish. Okay, all right, and and solace, which uh, means light, and it's. I was I was looking at the video that was put together last year. God, it was just you. You've got a gorgeous voice. You're a beautiful uh, young girl, and you, oh, thank you, you performed it so well. And it's it's, <laughs> a, it's a song all about finding hope in difficult times. Yeah, so um, what it's about, it's um, no matter how dark or sad times get, you'll always be able to find the light inside of you. And it's just like find the light at the end of the tunnel, really. It's always dark sometimes. Um, it takes longer to find. But it, you just always have to believe in yourself and remember that you're always going to find a way out of it. And I think with what's happening in the world at the moment, we all need that bit of, of hope in, in difficult yeah. times. Now, yeah, you, we went, really you then went to the... And the Eurovision was held, it was December. Yeah, December in Yerevan, Armenia. In in Armenia. Now, what was that, what, what was that like? Um, Armenia is absolutely beautiful. I'm not going to lie, I actually did have to look up Yerevan. I had no clue where it was. <laughs> Um, but I looked it up and when I saw the poses online I was like oh my goodness this is stunning and at Christmas time like they're really into Christmas and also there was like lights in the in the square it's like the main place there so it was covered in like lights and a big mass of Christmas tree and we got to perform there and walk the red carpet and that was just unbelievable but Armenia is fabulous I love it and then the actual competition it runs just like the traditional Eurovision that everybody sees um yeah, pretty much. So we just all perform on the night and there's some like um guest stars there and then they announce the winners. And actually after the show was finished we all they hired out a theme park for us. So we all got to go to a theme park and all, like all the roller coasters and all. It was absolutely amazing. I loved it. <laughs> that's brilliant. And you came fourth. I mean that's a trip. Yes, I came fourth Ireland's highest place in twenty twenty seven years. Well done. I that's mean I a great achievement. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like, we were all just sitting there. I was like, wait a minute. Am I thinking properly? Like, is this right? I think, is this right? Yeah, it <laughs> is, I was yeah. just so gobsmacked, but I was so, so thankful. Like, I couldn't have done it without everybody that voted for me. And I'm so, so thankful. And 33 million viewers tuned in. Yes. And then there was an, an additional 8,000 people just in the audience alone. So that was, that actually... Whenever I was on the stage, my mind just went like into this whole big dream world, and that I was just like performing on the stage, doing my country proud. Like I didn't even think that there was an there was anyone watching me, and um, I, I like I know thirty three million people were watching, but like I only actually realized that after I had sung, I was like, I was like, oh wait a minute. 33 million people were watching that. Yeah, don't, don't, don't <laughs> think about that on the, on the night for sure. You, know, you, to, you really don't think about it. And the dress you wore on the night. Yeah, um, so it was made by um, a girl called... Um, oh, what was her name again, Daddy? She was a, Oh, it was... I can't remember her name, but it, she was a dress designer in Dublin. Yeah. And she's absolutely... Her, her works... I mean... Like, her work of art are, like, oh, my goodness, stunning. And she made my dress. And when I first saw it, I was like, 
oh my goodness. It just fits the song so, so well, and it was fabulous. It was very heavy, though, wow. <laughs> because there's so many layers. Did you get to keep it? Yeah, I did. Oh, did you? Actually. <laughs> it's boxed away in my war- in the wardrobe. Um, I think it's my mum's wardrobe. Um, but yeah, it's boxed away, and um, I mean, if I ever... Like just had to do anything. I can just put it on. It's just it, it, it really is stunning. And of course, you, oh, you 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 going to your vision. That was not your first experience on stage. No, it, no, it wasn't. So um, I have been singing from I was nine, I think, pretty much at the start of COVID. Um, my first ever singing, it was actually singing in Irish as well. And uh, my first ever competition, my principal actually put me in for it, and I ended up winning. So my principal turns around to my mum and dad and they're like, do you know this wee girl can sing? Like, you should put her in for singing lessons. And so that's what they did. And then look where I am now. I've had to, like, I did not think any of this would happen, especially Junior Vision. Like, this has always been my dream. Like, I've I've been in love with the Eurovision, like, my whole life. And then I got to represent Ireland in the Junior Vision, which was like, oh, my God, amazing. <laughs> and who knows, one day you might... Make it to the maybe. to the other Eurovision. The, maybe the yeah, adults. Yeah, maybe. you never know. You never know. <laughs> and what, what, from a singing point of view, uh, Sophie, uh, what's next on the cards? Um. Well, I am actually writing a couple of songs at the moment, and okay. um, recording some songs at the moment, and maybe a couple of singles, maybe an album's going to be released. And wow. um, so I'm working on that at the moment. So yeah, um, and then I have a bunch of like different shows. Um, upcoming, but yeah, it's still all go. So, 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 music is the career for you. Is is your yeah, focus? I know I do a lot of like um singing on TV, but I am actually in love with musical theatre as well. Um, I've just recently got cast as the role of Marnie in Marnie the Kaleidoscope, and I was cast by the Harry Potter and musical director, so that was unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I've been back and forth doing that, recording um audios, and now we're going to be. I'm going. To, I'm actually going over in a couple of weeks for a workshop, and the show's going to be put up, put out, hopefully next year. I think that's on in the West End, isn't it? The West End yeah. in London, yeah. Yeah, wow. We'll have wow. to be travelling back and forth for that. That that would be incredible. And you've been on the Late Late Toy Show. Yeah, I have been on the Late Late Toy Show actually, and that was oh, I love that. Like, because the Late Late Toy Show has always been like my childhood. Yeah. And then like it was a, it was such a big thing in our house. Like we all sit down, my cousins and all would come over and we'd watch it with. A full box of quality straight, like eating in like 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I love the toy show. And then whenever I got to do it, um, it was amazing. And I actually sang the song. See, I did the Junior Vision era last year and got down to the final as well. And I sang Circle of Life there. So I got to sing Circle of Life on the Late Late Toy Show as well. Um, yeah, and that was that was an amazing experience. Wow. And meeting Ryan Tuppery and all was, uh, he's so funny in real life. I think you've, you've got, you've certainly got a fantastic uh, career ahead of you from, from oh, a musical point of view. And I also saw something that that stood out when you, when you read about you, um, Sophie. You were a registered young carer for your brother, Connor. Yeah, I am actually. So my brother Connor um is severely disabled and like nonverbal, so like he can't do anything for himself. Um, so I would have to help him a lot. I'd um change his nappy, feed him, dress him, and put his shoes on. Just do do all his like feeling necessities really. And so um there's this thing called young curs, and so um I'm a young cur. So what that means is I am a registered like I'm a registered cur for my brother. Like I help him and I do like everything he really needs. Um, well so yeah, and then the actual organisation because um it's young 
kids like myself um, helping um, our family members with um, disabilities that we wouldn't really get out that often. So what they do is they organise like um, an event each month. So it could be like rock climbing, swimming, like um, I don't know, just really like fun, fun like really yeah. fun things. Um, and time, I've, time, I, I've for been, you, time for yourself. Yeah, time for yourself. Really, it's just a wee day out, and it, I love it so so much. Like the amount of friends I have there, and then actually in the summer we went away down south. For three days, we've been kayaking, rock climbing, a bunch of cool things. And it was, oh my goodness, I love it so much. And they're, they're, they're really helpful. And does Connor love to hear you sing? Connor loves to hear me does sing. He like, could. whenever I was actually practicing solace before I went over, he was trying to, like, um, like mock me, uh, kind of. <laughs> like, he was trying to sing it. And it was it was just so wholesome. I love him so much. Ah, you're great. You're very sweet. Okay, the closing date for entries for this year's uh, Junior Eurovision is the 15th of uh, February. And in order to take part, people have to send on a 40-second uh, clip. Uh, you just send yourself singing, isn't it? Is that what you did, Sophie? Yeah, I just had to send myself singing and then I got a phone call. So, yeah, that was... And then you, you, you go from there. And what and what, what would you say to anyone listening, Sophie? Would you encourage them to, to get involved? I would definitely, I would 100% encourage um, everybody listening to, um, all the young people out there listening to um, um, apply because I just had the most um, unbelievable experience over in Armenia. Like, it's going to be an experience I'll never forget. I mean, so many friends over there, like the whole experience and all was just amazing. The whole buzz, the adrenaline of being on the stage. I actually still talk with um, a lot of the um, contestants and even have best friends. Um, and we all text each other every day on our way Eurovision group chat. Um, but yeah, I would definitely encourage yeah, anyone. You, you, make, you make friends for life at, at an event it's like friends that, for, for life. sure. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, just to let people know, the applicants are, um, applications are open, not just for solo singers like uh, like Sophie was, it's duets and groups up to a maximum of six yep. people uh, as well. And it is uh, tgkahar.ie forward slash junior Eurovision. That's where you apply. Sophie, I have loved talking with you uh, and I look forward to following your career because I think we're going to be hearing and seeing a lot more about young uh, Sophie Lennon from <laughs> a- Mayo Bridge in County Down. Thank you, though, for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Um, But yeah, thank you for having me. Good morning to you. Bye bye, bye bye, uh, bye bye. What a lovely, lovely young girl, uh, Sophie Lennon. And uh, people may have somebody said I saw, I saw the Euro, the Junior Eurovision. Yeah, it's broadcast on uh, TG Cahar, and she was absolutely Sophie was absolutely stunning. She did Ireland proud. Uh, thank you for that. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to oh eight six. To 103 103 with a reminder it is Wednesday so Peter Dowdell will be joining us in the next hour if you've got any gardening questions you can get them in for Peter either by calling John Paul or you can text our WhatsApp of course the email is also there at Cork Today at c103.ie and Dennis says Patricia well you're wrong I booked my NCT 240 days out from now I dare you to try booking your NCT either you're right and the system won't let you or I am and you will be booked up says uh, Dennis I did another quick check with the NCT and I don't know whether they changed it because it used to always be 
you could only book uh, no more than 90 days out and that was the earliest that you could get the test but I'm now seeing and it's probably it, they're saying it's because they're experiencing high demand uh, that you can book a test now for more than 90 days earlier than the test date but they deem that a voluntary early test and then your new certificate is issued from the day of the successful test uh, test uh, so my apologies uh, Dennis they seem to have changed their the rulings on that and you can book out if you want to be that organised you can book your test um almost a year in advance 0818 103 103 our lines are open John Paul's taking your calls we are looking for gardening questions please because uh, Peter Dowder will be joining us in the next hour and we'll catch up with some of your calls and comments be coming in all morning Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie you're listening to Cork today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts and comments coming into the programme before we get to thoughts and comments. Richard has been on in a bit of a pickle uh, to us this morning. He lost his wallet this morning and he reckons he lost it somewhere in and around Sugru's car park in Mallow. It's a brown wallet but it contains a lot of personal items and Richard is desperate to get that wallet back. So if anyone was out and about around Sugru's car park in Mallow earlier today and you found a brown wallet, we have Richard contact details please. If you can make contact with us, we can pass you on to um, Richard. And then a couple of comments in on NCT. Firstly, we I got John Paul to ring Paul Kavanagh of McCarthy Insurance, who does our insurance matters slot on the programme, for the listener who said that her son's insurance premium has just come in and it clearly states in bold print that he has to have a valid NCT before he can renew his insurance. So we got on to Paul and Paul says that he can't obviously answer for the direct insurance people like AIG or FBD or It's for Women or 123.ie but he certainly says all of the 17 insurers that they deal with in McCarthy Insurance will accept renewal of an insurance policy once you can prove that you have an NCT test booked. That's if your NCT is out. So maybe to that listener, if your son is having problems getting an NCT in advance of his insurance premium, maybe he needs to shop around. There are other insurers that are not asking that, certainly at the moment. But Paul is hearing that a lot of people are cancelling their test. And in that case, their insurance could end up being invalid. He said, if you deliberately cancel your test for no you know, genuine reason, not like the listener who got snowed in and wasn't able to make it. That was a very genuine reason. But if you cancel your test because you're fearful that your car, for example, isn't going to pass the NCT and you can't prove that you've made all reasonable precautions to get your uh, test on those policies, um, your 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 policy then could be deemed invalid, particularly if your car is in an accident and it proves that it wasn't roadworthy. And had you gone through for your NCT, the one you cancelled, uh, it, it the whatever was wrong with the car could have been pointed out so do be careful about that do be careful about cancelling tests because Joan was on and she reckons she's heard of certainly for the people who don't show up for their NCTs there are some people are just booking a test and then therefore they have an appointment date if they get stopped by the guards they can say oh look guard I've applied for my test and it's due in three weeks or it's due in two months or or whatever it is but they're actually cancelling it and then booking another one so that they always have an appointment to show the guards I think the guards are going to cop on to that fairly quickly I don't know how many people are doing that but Joan said she certainly has heard of that being done 0818 103 103 
and Ellen in Balancolic. Now, this is to do with the two... Uh, pe- the two gentlemen who contacted us earlier um, on health issues, but in particular, um, who was the gentleman, Gary, who's had a huge problem trying to get an urgent MRI scan and he's 12 days now waiting. He's finally got an appointment for one tomorrow, but nothing can be done from a physio point of view until he gets the MRI. And, and he's in a lot of pain because he's broken his ankle and he's also broken a bone somewhere in his uh, leg. And he's huge problems, even though he's private health insurance. Ellen in Balancolic says a lot of the time, Uh, people should be asking their hospital consultants if they can go to Mallow General Hospital. Ellen says she knows a number of people from Cork City who've travelled out to Mallow General Hospital for scans and procedures etc and they got seen way ahead of a waiting time that they would have for one of the larger city hospitals. She said remember Mallow Hospital has the brand new injury unit and it has the medical assessment unit as well but people's perceptions of hospitals like Mallow General Hospital or Bantry General Hospital needs to change and if it changes as more people st- might start using uh, these hospitals. Yeah, and I know in Mallow they have the uh, the endoscope uh, suite, brand new endoscope uh, suite. And I certainly have heard of people who have uh, needed to have um, endoscopes done, certainly coming down and uh, using Mallow. So people need to keep that in mind if you're getting an appointment, just check and see could some of the other hospitals, not necessarily the ones in the city, would they be able to do whatever procedure you need or if it's a if it's a test I don't know if they've got MRIs or CT scans but it's certainly worth uh, asking for sure thank you for that to 0818 103 103 now this is something I'm not aware of but maybe others are hi Patricia I'm just wondering is this a new development where Ukrainian adults refugees who have fled a war are attending secondary schools for classes now I'm assuming to learn uh, English now they are segregated from the pupils they're not in with the school uh, children but they are certainly in the school building getting English lessons and I'm just wondering are any of them guard the vetted etc now it is fantastic said this listener to be, be providing a much needed service to these people to help them learn English and to help them to integrate more because my heart goes out to them because of what they have been put through but should parents and pupils be made made aware that there's adults Ukrainian adults in the school building and I'm assuming you're saying that these classes are going on during normal school hours I'm just wondering what you know would they do many schools have empty classrooms that they could facilitate English language classes to be taught to Ukrainians I take it from the tone of your text that's happening while the children are in are in the other classrooms as opposed to say using them at evening time almost running night classes for them I certainly haven't heard of it, but that's not to say that it's not going on. And I take it from your text, you've heard of it happening somewhere locally. Is anybody else aware of that? Where Ukrainian, these are the adults, not the children, are going into school schools during the day to learn English. Is anybody aware of that? 0818 103 103. Now, I do know just this morning by way of uh, an update, uh, Roderick O'Gorman, who is... Uh, with the uh, department responsible for he's the children's department responsible for the refugees and housing refugees in this uh, country he said of course remember yesterday there was a sub the subcommittee the cabinet subcommittee on Ukraine Ukraine met yesterday obviously discussing the increasing difficulties in finding accommodation and not just for those fleeing the war in Ukraine but also for those seeking international protection he was speaking out this morning and he said that the next phase of the state's response 
response to the Ukrainian crisis will require all aspects of government and all state agencies. He said they need to step up. He said there are very real challenges for the state to deliver hotel and guest house based uh, accommodation. He says contingencies must be put in place should hotels revert to tourism. And at this stage, a lot of those hotels that have been used to house refugees either from Ukraine or those who are coming seeking international protection. A lot of those certainly around March, they're due to renew their contracts. Now, there's obviously negotiations going on to renew the contracts, but it's not known at this stage how many of those hotels are going to revert back to uh, tourism. Uh, Rodrigo Gorman described the number of people arriving from Ukraine as being quite low since Christmas, because I'm assuming the message is certainly getting out to Ukrainians that we are full. But he said that number could increase, particularly with and should violence escalate further in the Ukraine, then more people will decide we've stayed for as long as we could and we now have to get out. He added that the Department of the Defence has assisted in the provision of Kilbride barracks and he said there's further engagement going on uh, with the Defence uh, forces. So I'm assuming from that they're going to look at other barracks are they around the country to see if they uh, could be used instead. And he said clear asks now are going to be now made of all government departments and all ministers because he says nobody should be left without accommodation and talking about people being left without accommodation um, I know up to yesterday 89 people had arrived in Dublin these are not Ukrainians who've arrived seeking international protection since last week and none of them have been provided with accommodation I think they give them vouchers for food and many of those then are reaching out to homeless shelters in Dublin not that the homeless shelters in Dublin most of those are burst to are bursting to capacity as well so many of them are ending up uh, sleeping rough while they're waiting for the department to come back to say they found accommodation for him, for for them. And the other thing that Roderick O'Gorman mentioned this morning uh, is that the plan to use the hotel in Lismore in County Waterford and this is the one for international protection families he says that is going ahead now there has been local opposition to it I know earlier um, this week that over 200 people attended a protest in Lismore town against the opening of what will be a direct provision centre which hold at this stage 117 asylum seekers will be moved into that hotel uh, premises Um, He says there is a real need to open accommodation at speed in order for the state to meet what he says are its international obligations. And with new accommodation, when new accommodations are open, he says that local representatives and councils are informed. But we're back again. Certainly what's happened in uh, Lismore was the lack of consultation. And that's certainly for the people in Formoy. Uh, the people in, or sorry, should I say, in Lismore, that's what they were most upset about. Was they had been led to believe that this gorgeous, that Lismore Hotel, it's a, just a beautiful heritage building. They had been told that that hotel was going to reopen as a hotel, and there was much excitement that it was going to reopen as a hotel because it's been closed, I think, since twenty. Did I read somewhere since twenty sixteen? So you know, and obviously a town like Lismore needs it's a heritage town, so it needs a hotel. So they were quite excited about the idea that the hotel was to open and work had begun there but then suddenly a rumour went around that no it's going to be used as a direct provision centre instead and you know or certainly any of the people that were protesting in Lismore were saying look we're not against uh, refugees coming to our town but what we're against is our 
hotel being used as a direct provision centre and they were saying to look at other properties instead you know they'll welcome the refugees um, but but they're saying please don't put them up in the ho- in the hotel but it, it's now being confirmed that it is going ahead now what has been what has been said so far it's 117 in total uh, will come uh, f- uh, initially it's going to be 67 what's been described as very vulnerable women and children they'll shortly be uh, arriving and many of them were told to arriving in very traumatised state. Now, as I say, these are not Ukrainians. These are ones who are here looking for international protection. But that is now definitely going to go um, ahead and the hotel becomes an, an asylum uh, an asylum centre. And, you know, everybody accepts that direct provision uh, simply doesn't work. And I know only yesterday, you know, there was a, a call out from Minister Roderick O'Gorman who was saying that we will need at least four more large temporary accommodation facilities for refugees and uh, asylum seekers and that was in, in advance he said made that statement in advance of the subcommittee meeting in the in Ukraine but it's when they identify so when they identify a property that's going to be used you know we saw it again in Mallow only last week when we were discussing it it's the local communication with uh, people because if they don't give the local accurate up-to-date correct information that's when the scaremongering starts and then we've got the people who are just anti-immigrants full stop regardless of where anybody's coming from they manage then to get the disinformation out and that then fuels fear and anger amongst amongst people so the whole communication and we just don't seem to be learning from the communication we really do not seem to be learning and then people feel that this has been foisted upon them and people arrive in the dead of the night and that just adds to uh, the fear and the and the misinformation but the Liz Moore uh, the, the Liz Moore Hotel is certainly going ahead as a direct provision centre for and when it is full it'll be 117 asylum seekers in that hotel premises 0818 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Anam Cara will meet in the Clayton Hotel in Silver Springs tonight at 7.15 They welcome all bereaved parents regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances of the death and it is a free event Rathmore Panto will run in Rathmore Community Centre tonight and tomorrow night at 7.30 and they will have another evening show on Saturday there's a matinee next Sunday the booking office is open every day between 2pm and 6pm Turk Flower and Garden Club they're meeting this evening at 8 o'clock the Temperance Hall on Strand Street in Canturk. Guest speakers from New Leaf Store. They'll speak on joint mobility and healthy immunity. Admission is five euro. All are welcome. And the monthly mass in honour of St. Pio is on at St. Joseph's Church in Lismire. That's on tonight at 8pm. And the Polyphonics Male Barbershop Chorus. They're offering three free singing lessons commencing tomorrow, Thursday. Adults of all ages and backgrounds are welcome to come along to rehearsals from 7pm to 9pm in Skull Owen in Ballincollig. If you'd like more information, you can contact Pat on 087 654085. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See mig.ie This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. 
Cork Today at c103.ie. And as I mentioned just earlier this morning, Minister Rodrigo Gorman has confirmed that the planned transformation of the former hotel in Lismore in County Waterford is definitely going ahead and is ter- being turned into a direct provision centre. But that has sparked real anger in the community and locals are criticising the lack of consultation from the government. Barry has uh, contacted us and it's that lack of communication that Barry is picking up on. Good afternoon to you, Barry. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, ba- Barry, you just think that the lack of engagement with local communities is just, it's gone beyond a joke. It really is. And I mean, just listening to your programme this morning and uh, listening to the people of Lismore and County Watford the other evening about their nice heritage hotel, they have nothing really against refugees as most people d- d- will be in the same shoes, shoes as them. But uh, what they have an issue with is their heritage hotel being occupied by refugees instead of tourists because their town actually does need tourism and that's what it depends on. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's a small town. I think there's only, I think it's, it's, somebody say it was a, th- a population of 1,000 uh, with 117 um, will be moving into this gorgeous, gorgeous uh, building. And you're right, all of the locals that I've heard speaking are saying, we're not saying no, you know, no refugees in Lismore. We're just saying not in this hotel. But listening to Roderick O'Gorman this morning, they are just saying, forget it, we're not listening. We're, we're, we're opening it as a direct provision centre. No, so uh, action like that obviously is going to provoke people as well. And at this minute, even in Killarney Town, there are possibly in the region of around 6,000 refugees um, with more to go there. Now, a lot of the tourist operators in the area are expressing uh, their own fears as well because uh, they won't have as much, half as many bookings as they previously d- would have. As well as that, you won't have the amount of tourists coming in because the actual bed nights won't be there for them. But furthermore, unfortunately, there's a there's another story on the streets there that people don't feel that that it's safe walking the, some of the streets there. Yeah, I've heard that. In and actually, only only on Monday we had a listener who spent some was down in Killarney for a night and couldn't get over. Uh, seeing homeless people on the streets in Killarney, the amount of people begging on the streets in uh, Killarney, all of them um, not Irish people, and was really taken aback for a tourist town. That's not something you expect to see on the streets of Killarney. No, it's not. And then, I mean, I suppose to add insult to injury is the amount of homeless Irish that are actually in our country here that have been ignored consistently over the over a period of years now at this stage and nothing being done for them. Like, it just doesn't add up at all, to be honest with you. Well, I know the group who were protesting in Mallow, that was the main thrust of their uh, argument of the 30 modular homes that may be going ahead now in Mallow. They were making that point, how quickly uh, a government department and the OPW can install 30 modular homes. And some of the people in the protest were on a housing list for 10, 12. I think the highest one was 14 years on top of the 11,500 people that are living in hotels and, and guest houses. And people are finding that it, like, people have nothing against particularly the Ukrainian refugees and nothing against them. But it's a very bitter pill to swallow if you're living in a hotel and suddenly you see somebody has arrived from Ukraine who may also have been living in a hotel for a number of months is suddenly getting a modular home. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And uh, I think I think there's no Irish person 
in any community in Ireland at the moment that doesn't feel the same. You know, it's just people are feeling let down. Uh, the system has let everybody down, really. The lack of engagement has been incredible, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just fueling up the wrong kind of feelings among everybody. Well, it is, because then you get the people who are anti-immigrant who just love to hear this happening because they can fuel it then with misinformation and, and really get people riled up and people are getting riled up about the wrong uh, people. And But it's the, the lack of communication is really starting to annoy me as well. And we we're already getting calls in this morning from the McCroom area to say that there's a, it was a protest held. Now, it's near a graveyard in McCroom. It's the entrance to an unfinished housing estate and a truck has been refused entry. Um, some people are unsure of what the site is going to be used as. Now, we're waiting to try and get clarification. But obviously, again, work now starts anywhere and people are thinking, what's going on there? What's happening there? Because we've heard of asylum seekers being moved into places in the dead of the night. Like, what's that all about? Why are you doing it in the dead of the night? And the other part, of course, is what is our health system that's already on its knees going to do trying to cope with all of this as well? I know, and dare I say our schools. Did you see in Limerick? Yeah. There's a number of, I mean, they, they have a really unusual way of handing out secondary school places in Limerick. It is done almost like a CAO. You have to fill in a form and put your preference of, of your school. And yesterday was the day that the parents and the children found out, or sorry, it was this morning, found out whether their, their children got um, a place in secondary school. And I'm re- hearing this morning that 26 Limerick children uh, will not have an offer of a second level place because the, the city schools are full. So we've well, got, we're going to have problems in our schools. Uh, there's, as I say, the, it's only it's just the beginning of what is coming down the line. Unfortunately, uh, starting with lack of engagement, lack of facilities, proper placing placement of these people, nothing like that was done. Our health system will be, is, which is already unfortunately in dire straits. How they are going to cope with all these extra people, I have no idea. I think Roger Garman should be asked that question directly, and. Uh, Anyway, I, he, he won't have an answer, but he'll, he'll fob you off with some kind of an answer, you know. And it was this time last year when the war was about, or as soon as the war started, like we were we were at one stage told there would be up to 200,000 Ukrainian refugees coming into this country. So it wasn't, and now we haven't, we've been anything near that uh, at the moment, but it wasn't that they didn't know. But it just, it looks like the planning hasn't gone into it at all. I mean, even to hear Roderick O'Gorman saying now that all of the, all of the government departments have to st- step up. What have they been doing for the last year? Absolutely, yeah. 100%. I agree with you there. Yeah. All right, listen, thanks for that, Barry. No bother. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks for your call. 0818-103-103. John and Cove says there's plenty of open fields in Ireland. There are enough fields for people to come and camp out in open fields. We could put up plenty of tents in these fields for refugees. Give the Irish who pay taxes uh, homes. They are the ones who are waiting for them and have, I'm assuming, John, what you are suggesting is that we would have some kind of tented villages for uh, refugees, almost like refugee camps. Is that what you are suggesting? 0818 103 103. And just one other thing, and I meant to mention this uh, earlier because I really was saddened uh, to see this when I saw it go up on uh, Lime that a wonderful shop in uh, Charleville, J.P. Moran's Menswear, 
Uh, they have been in business for 137 years and they've been forced to close their doors after over a century of tailoring in the heart of Charleville. It's a family owned business, hugely, hugely popular in uh, Charleville and it's been successful across four generations of the uh, the owners' families. But they say the rising cost of doing business, energy costs in particular and utilities and uh, a loss of business since the pandemic has taken its uh, toll and that decision was not certainly not taken easily and you know there we go it's on the main street in Charleville is it now going to be another boarded up shop and all of the other businesses uh, suffer because of it as well but it was a lovely shop it was a shop I went into on numerous occasions because uh, Marcia's school was the Holy Family School in Charleville and uh, JP Morns was where we used to get her school uniforms and they were just all was so accommodating and so helpful anytime I went in there so it's with uh, great sadness that we hear about the closure of JP Morns in uh, Charleville and as I say a lot of people will be saddened by that news as well and unfortunately we're seeing so many of our small shops but it's like it's when it's a family business that's been there for, for generations it's just it's even harder isn't it when they are forced to close but the cost of doing business now and the energy costs and utility costs for all of those shops is just incredible I mean we're all giving out that our electricity bills and our gas bills ha- have gone up but for shops like that of course they're gone, gone I mean they can't have lights and heating off they can't you know they try and do do their best to get the best tariff on offer but they can't have the lights off or the heating off when the shop is open so they have to use probably the same amount of electricity they've always used but they they're paying a huge amount more uh, for it and they can only put up the prices so much. 0818103103. Your gardening questions, please, for uh, Peter Dowdle. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As it is the first day of February, and some people are claiming it's the first day of spring. Thoughts are very much turning to the garden. And Peter Dowdle, the Irish Gardener.com, uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. I'll, I'll certainly take it as the first day of spring. So do I. So do I. I don't care what the meteorologists say. I, I want yeah. it. I want it to be spring. And you can already see it in the garden, can't you? You can already like we had calls in during the week saying there's daffodils out. You know, I've noticed it for the last week now, I'd say, or maybe even a bit more that, you you know, just the, the, the stretch in the morning more than the evening. Like it, it's getting brighter that much earlier. And my daffodils aren't up, but they're certainly they're not flowering rather, but they're certainly well up, if you know what I mean. There's there's lots to see and you can just see the growth kind of emerging again from this from the from from kind of dormant branches and from the hydrangeas are coming back into leaf and from under the soil. There's there's lots happening underneath. And the grass needs a cut. If it wasn't so wet, if ah. we could get out and cut it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, straight into questions. Uh, hi, uh, Peter. Um, when is the right time to prune roses and how much do you prune them back by? Well, you can actually prune roses back quite hard. There's an awful lot of, of uh, I suppose they have a lot of bad press of being high maintenance and difficult to prune, and they're really not. I mean, they prune, prune them back very, very hard. Uh, you, you any time really between kind of November and the end of February. So you've still got another month to do it. But I would try and have them done by the end of February or even sooner, because as soon as the temperatures do start to increase and growth starts again, you, you want to have the pruning done before that. So you're not pruning off and wasting, if you like, any of this year's growth. 
Okay, Catherine says, hi, uh, Peter. I got a present of a hyacinth at Christmas, an indoor hyacinth. The flowers are now gone. I'm wondering, can that plant be planted outdoors or does it have to stay indoors? No, it doesn't. It is actually an outdoor hyacinth, but they go through a, a period of stratification and uh, uh, they're prepared to, to trick them into thinking, if you like, that spring is coming earlier. And that's why they flower inside dur- during the winter. Um, but no, it, that, that, that preparation, if you like, or that treatment that they get only lasts for the one year. So from now on, if you like, it's a spring flowering outdoor hyacinth. So I would, when the foliage dies off, I'd wrap it up in a bit of, bit of paper and then plant it out again in the autumn. Uh, Marie in Fromoy, could you please ask Peter, when is the best time to scarify the lawn and should I treat the moths first or do you treat it after scarifying? It's funny now because I was just writing about that, I think, in, in answer to a question on the examiner last weekend. Uh, and you're coming towards the best month. You're not there yet. Uh, it, it's it's March really is the best month. Now, on saying that, if we didn't get a cold February, you would be fine to do it now. But who's to know? We may well get a cold snap yet. We often do in February. So we're not out of the woods or anything like it. So I would wait till March, scarify it then. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's kind of like a mechanical rake where you're ripping up the thatch and the moss from the soil surface uh, and you're creating much better growing conditions around the root zone and at the soil surface. Uh, treat the moss afterwards and not, not beforehand because you're going to be physically removing that moss. So there's no need to really treat it with anything. But just when you are treating it, be careful because so many of the products uh, are based on iron sulfate sulfate of iron then will, will will make the soil more acidic which creates kind of the ideal conditions for moss to come back what you want to do is concentrate on making the soil more alkaline uh, because then the, the the moss doesn't grow in alkaline conditions so first of all scarify it during March collect all the rubbish and my god it will look desperate for a while I'm afraid uh, but you're doing the greater good uh, and then maybe put on put on something like the lawn gold to protect it from the moss yeah, because Sean and Discarrel is wondering, is there an easier way to remove moss from a lawn rather than scarifying? You know, it depends on how bad an infestation it is or how bad the moss is. Now, the other thing, of course, is you could learn to love moss. I have no huge problem with moss. Yeah, but, I don't uh, but I'm saying that yeah. I, try, I don't either. Yeah, it looks green. But if you could just treat it with the lawn gold, Trisha, and not scarify it. So if you put on the lawn gold from March onwards as well, that does what I was saying there and that it helps to, to make the soil more alkaline. And the great thing about it is, like with a lot of the sulfate of iron products, the moss goes black. But with something like that, the long gold, where you're making it more alkaline, the moss turns to dust. So you don't have to rake out the black moss. So you could try that if you didn't want to scarify it. OK, Nora has moved to a seaside location in East Cork. Sounds wonderful, Nora, and is starting to think about planting in the garden. She's wondering, there's one wall in particular, it's facing the sea. Are there certain plants that she needs to avoid, certain plants she needs to go, uh, needs to go with? Because uh, obviously she's conscious of sea air and sea salt. Yes, I, I'm afraid, yes. The answer to that is the most resounding yes. Uh, living by the coast, uh, it, it's gorgeous and and. Uh, but it comes at a cost. It comes with, 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 I suppose, a price. And that is that you are quite limited as to what you can grow horticulturally next next to the um, next to the sea, next to the coast. And particularly if you have a wall which is facing out onto the, the Atlantic, um, you know, that's a that's a tough, tough position to get things to grow on. And I can't I can't you know, I can give you a few a few suggested plants that will grow in coastal gardens, but I can't say with any degree of certainty if they're going to grow in your garden. And the reason for that really, Trish, is because coastal gardens very individual. Like what might grow in one garden may not 
grow in somebody else's garden. Uh, it, it really does depend on the on the location. You're looking at uh, things, by and large, you're looking at things with a, with a very waxy leaf because the, the plants uh, suffer in the coast because they, the salt dries them out and they lose water through transpiration quicker. So if you can get something that's got a waxy leaf, it slows the, 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 the rate of water loss through transpiration. Silver-leafed plants tend to do quite well as well. So things like your Oleria, Aeliagnus, things like that. Ground cover rosemary is another one. Things with very small leaves that have modified so as not to have a huge surface area, um, like your, your rosemary and your pine and things like that. Sea hollies and eryngiums, things like this will, will all do well. But your best bet is possibly go to a local garden centre. If you're down in East Cork, you could call into Carewswood there, Daniel Leahy in Castle Marta. That's a good garden centre. I'm sure there's many others down there just off the top of my head. Um, but call down there uh, and and bring a picture of it and, you know, bring a picture of it in relation to the sea as well and get good advice that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and garden centres are great for that kind of advice. And you're a great fan of bringing the photograph with you. Well, definitely, because you can picture it, but the person in the like those of us in, in the world of gardening, we're, we're only too happy, as you know, Trish, as, yeah. as I'm proving, we're only too happy to kind of share the information and, and try and get others into the world of gardening. Um, uh, and we'll help as much as we can. But if you can bring a photograph, it's going to be much easier to point at an area and say, look, why don't you put this plant there and that plant here, uh, as opposed to just thinking in general, you know. Okay, John has all the preparatory work done for a new lawn that he's planning on setting uh, this this year. When is the correct time to plant the seeds? We're getting all the right questions at the right time today, which is great because it's exactly the same as the person who was asking about scarifying. March really is the best month of all to, to sow the seed because uh, temperatures are hopefully increasing during March. Uh, it's The soil is still damp, uh, but it's not frozen. Um, so, so March, you're nearly there, just another few weeks. Okay, someone else has a problem with, with large thistles growing up on the lawn. How do you get rid of the thistles? I'm afraid the only thing to do with thistles is a, is a strong pair of gloves and out there with a, with a small shovel and just dig them up by hand. I'm afraid it's all you can do. Okay, and James Infermoy has a grisolinia uh, hedge. It's a five foot high. It's been growing, he reckons, for about eight years, but patches of it has died off. What is, is he in danger of losing the entire hedge? It's 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 hard to say, Trish, without seeing all of it. But unfortunately, perhaps is about as definite an answer as I could give you. Uh, like without seeing it, it's hard to say what's causing it. So what you'd look at there are things like were there any environmental reasons? In other words, like you know, did weed killer get onto a patch, or was there an oil spill or something in the patch? So any environmental reasons that could explain specific areas dying off and that's kind of good news if it is because you can explain it but if there aren't any reasons like that then you know it's some pathogen it could be fungal bacterial viral it could be anything um most likely to be some kind of fungal problem uh if if it's if if the whole plant if random plants are dying here and there and it's the entire plant that is bad news unfortunately like if it's an environmental problem as i say it'll tend to be localized maybe half of a plant in a particular area or something like that but if you're getting random ones dying you know it could be something like phytophthora or one of these nasty fungal infections um first thing to do is be get try and be sure again a a trip to the garden center with a photograph should get you some answers um but you, you may be looking at lifting the, the diseased and infected plants out of it completely. OK, and Pauline said her husband was a bit overzealous with the salt on frosty mornings and uh, she's <laughs> noticed only today that the grass running down the side of the driveway has all been burnt. Uh, she's assuming it's from the salt. Does she need to do anything or will it just will it 
remedy itself? It, 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 it may or may not remedy itself. It's a question of crossing your fingers and, and just time will tell, I'm afraid, Trish. So, yeah, it's, all, it's always, you have to be very careful if you're using moss for ice uh, or, for the, or, sorry, if you're using salt for ice or to, to kill moss, be careful as to where that solution is going to run off to. Now, obviously, <laughs> health and safety takes priority there. So if you're going to lose a bit of grass, but you, you need it to, to thaw out your driveway, so be it. But um, it, it's hard to say if, if it, the salt and water could well have killed the grass, yes. But it's just it's just time will tell. If it has killed the grass, uh, it's just a question maybe of, of taking it up, putting in a bit of fresh topsoil and um, a new seed. Okay, and a final one from Kay. Would Peter know uh, if there are heathers that will thrive in a limey soil? Are there particular heathers? Yes, there are. Uh, There are heathers for every single situation you can think of, really, and flowering at every different month of the year. They're they're a great group of plants. off the top of my head, I'm going to say Erica darliensis, I think, is a limey one. There are others, but a quick Google search will give you a list of species of heathers that will um, that will, will, will grow in lime. I'm fairly sure Erica darliensis does. I know there are others, but I'm just drawing a mental blank. But a quick Google search will, will give you a list of heathers for lime, all right? But it does prove you need to be careful of what heathers you plant and where, because there's some for oh, the Oh, absolutely. Some, some, of them are, yeah, some of them are just for acid soil. In fact, the term ericaceous means acid or acidic soil uh, which comes from the term erica so our, our heathers that that are from the word erica so a lot of them most of them if you like would like acid soil but there are some suited to lime yeah okay so have you a busy week we're coming in as you can see by the sound of it yeah coming into a busy time for gardening uh, you know march is on the way so everything was getting seed potatoes out uh, which will be going out now over the next month uh, and also the design the garden design is, is kicking off again now very busy at the moment so yeah Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> time long, to draw breath while i can long may it last we'll talk to you next week peter thank you for that as always Thanks, Trish. Thanks Bye-bye. for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.